The second Bible reading comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32, which is found approximately on page 1226 of the Bibles in the Pews. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Thanks be to God for his precious word. Thank you, uh, Margaret, for reading God's word to us. Uh, Well, friends, let's come uh, to our God in prayer, please. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the opportunities we have to study your word, to have it explained to us, Lord, for the freedom we enjoy in Australia. Lord, this morning we pray that your spirit will minister to each of our hearts. And speak to us, Lord, through your word. Ask, O Lord, that you forgive me for my sins. And thank you for the privilege of sharing your precious word with your precious people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, um, the experiment has worked. Did you notice that, the glass in the front? It is gradually getting there, right? So, it's, it's really worked. And thanks, Wendy, for that. Reminds us of the blood of Christ that takes away all the dirt of our sins and everything else makes us white as snow. Well, dear friends, uh, if you want a transcript of the notes, uh, I know some of you have asked me. I w- I'm very willing to send you an entire document to you, email it to you as I've done in the past. If you want a document before the service as well as I've given to some this morning, uh, please let me know beforehand. I'll give you the printed document. It's always there, both John and myself. We have a printed document of the entire sermon uh, with us. If you want the notes, it's all yours, free. Just take it, ask me, okay? Good. Well, last Sunday, friends, we looked at, uh, if you're a visitor here with us this morning, uh, we are 
continuing our series of studies on the book of Ephesians. And uh, so last Sunday we saw what it means to be united in the body of Christ, what it meant to, uh, to use the gifts and talents that God has given us, what it meant to, uh, to stand strong, that we are not like infants tossed uh, to, uh, back and forth by every wave of uh, doctrine that comes our way. Uh, we looked at what it meant to be built up in Christ, in corporate unity, uh, chapter 4, to reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the, mature, uh, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so, true unity requires common identity. And I would ask you to please keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 4. Our text this morning is verses 17 to 24. It makes it easy for you as well to follow through with me as we work through uh, this passage together. Friends, we are to grow in Christ as a church family. Doing so in love with Jesus as our head who holds the body together. And this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, 17 to 24, where Paul moves from the subject of unity in the faith, from gifts and service in love, to another practical aspect of the outworking of that faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at two things this morning, and that is, based on the text, the old life, 17 to 19, and the new life, 20 to 24. And next week, we'll come and look at 25 uh, right to, uh, through to the end. So, what does the old life look like? Well, look at your Bibles in 17 to 19. We have a passage that says there, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, and so forth. Verses 17 to 19. Well, friends, what did it look like? Paul says, and Paul is emphasizing in verse 17, that this, what I'm speaking to you, Paul says, look at it in verse 17, so I tell you this and insist on it, in the Lord, in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Paul is emphasizing here that he is not speaking himself, but he is speaking in the Lord. This is the Lord's word to you. He says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You see, Gentiles today are non-Jews. But Gentiles, in the biblical understanding as well for us this morning, we will refer to them as non-Christians. That is, before you became a Christian, right? And so Paul is saying, you don't walk the way you lived previously. That is, before you were a Christian. Walk is a metaphor for the entire or the whole of life. It is how we live. And Paul is saying to the Ephesians, don't live or don't walk like the Gentiles do. That is, not to, that is not to say that uh, we are to withdraw ourselves uh, from this world. That is that we should not live as the non-Christians do. As I said, this, this uh, doesn't mean that we can't do anything that the non-Christians do. For example, we cannot go to a restaurant or a footy match or a tennis match because that's only for non-Christians. We are going for a footy match next week. And we will be with many non-Christians around the place as well. We will be cheering just, well... 
I won't be because the cats are not playing, but it doesn't matter. We will, we will cheer somehow, and we will be with our non-Christian friends in, in the workplace, at school, your work colleagues, at university. We have our neighbors who are non-Christians. We live in this world. We don't live outside of this world. We interact with people every day, don't we? When you go to fill in your car with, with, with petrol or diesel or gas, you meet the guy at the door, uh, at, at the counter, and I have one particular guy that I fill up every week. He knows me very well. He knows my family well. He's a non-Christian guy, but he's a great bloke. And he'll just ask me, how was your day? What's happened? Uh, what do you do, Chris? And, and we get talking about things in life. We meet with non-Christians. What Paul is saying here is to his readers, don't be like the non-Christians. Because they were living a high-powered non-Christian, they were living in a very high-powered non-Christian environment with all kinds of ungodly influences around them. Ephesus, for example, was really famous for its great temple, a shrine to the goddess Diana or Artemis. The temple of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. It was some 425 feet in length and 200 feet in breadth. It had 127 white marble columns, each 62 feet in height. And the focus of the temple was on an image of the goddess Diana, said to have fallen from heaven to earth. And the temple was so powerful that Ephesus became the religious center of all of Asia. And we read of this temple in Acts chapter 19, that there were silversmiths who made shrines of Diana and sold them. Diana was worshipped as the sex goddess. How's that? And the place at the temple, there were prostitutes and all kinds of nefarious activities was taking place in that context because this was the goddess of sex. And these Christians were living in such a context. I mean, we live in challenging times as well, don't we? We are surrounded by all kinds of temptations around us. If you got your mobile phone, uh, you can access the internet right now in this place. What do we see online? We can access pornography just like that, can't we? Uh, you go into shops and you see magazines. You see, we, we, we live in a promiscuous society. We can't withdraw from this. How do we live in a society like this? And Paul is saying here, understand your times. Understand the context that you're living in. It's a high-powered, highly energized, sexually driven community that you're living in with this goddess Diana being worshipped and how do Christians live in such an environment. What a challenge it is for us as well. Think about our own society. One of the most confronting problems for us is the issue of drugs, right? Ice is the number one problem. Apparently, Victoria is the place that you could get so much of pure ice. I never knew that until I heard that recently on the news. We have alcoholism. That's a major issue. We have domestic violence. We have murders. A tragic news this past week. We all know that. See, we're living in a society like this. And it will be like this. (laughs) Because we are living in a lost and a corrupt sinful environment. And Paul says to them right away in verse 17 that they had to be different in the way they lived. 
So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, verse 17, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You see, Paul has already said this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner, what is it? Worthy of your calling. To which you have been called. Who called you, friends, to become a Christian? Who called you? Do I hear something? God has called you. Right? God has called me. He has taken us out, out of darkness into his light. As we heard testimonies and as Linda spoke a couple of weeks ago. He has brought us out of darkness to light. He has called us. And he has taken us out from this dark world and brought us into salvation. So he has changed my thinking and my lifestyle is now going to be changed because Christ has called me to a new life. Did you see that? Okay. And, and part of that walking worthy as Christians was not to live as non-Christians did. And notice how the Gentiles or non-Christians lived at the time and perhaps you could say even today. Verse 17, in the futility of their minds. Look at verse 17, please, with me, in your Bibles. In the futility of their thinking. Their mindset was marked by futility. And the word that is used here, uh, in, in, in the original language, means empty. It means useless. It means futile. It means empty or useless Thinking. Can you see that? How our minds can be affected with our thinking? They are living with the emptiness of their minds. It is a mindset that is distorted. Now, this does not mean, friends, that our non-Christians, um, that non-Christians don't think. It does not mean that the unbelieving mind is incapable of reason or that it has lost all capacity for logical thought. Certainly not. That's not the case. Instead, what we see here is that the unbelieving minds cannot understand or glorify God in their thinking. And the point is that in relation to God and honoring Him, their minds are distorted. They don't have a perspective of life from God's point of view. Their worldview does not put God in the picture. That's the difference. Their mindset does not put God in the understanding. Can you see how we would have been as well before we became Christians? Like that? Futile? Empty? Further, notice in verse 18a, what's happened there as well, in, in verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So, we see a few more things here. Their understanding darkened. They are darkened in their understanding. A darkened understanding is spiritual ignorance. It is blindness to the truth. It is living in spiritual darkness. Ignorant about God. Further, they are alienated from the life of God. 18b. They are separated from God. This is a state of alienation. This is because they are dead in their sins. And the reason, Paul says, for all of this, if you look at verse 18 carefully, 
darkened in their heart, verse 18, uh, C, due to the hardening of their hearts. The, you know, friends, the word for hardening is a word from which we get the word poros, meaning stone. Right? Stone. Uh, it is a reference to some kind of marble. It is a stone that is harder than marble. And we could call this a heart of stone. Have you used that phrase? <laughs> a stone-hearted person. What's the image of that? A heart of stone or a stone-hearted person. We get the image that this person is a hardened person. Sometimes we use the phrase, so and so is a hardened criminal. Don't we? What about spiritually speaking, friends? Aren't we hardened at times? You see, God calls us not to harden our hearts against him. You see, having a hardened heart is a stone heart. There is stubbornness in the heart. It has been well said, brothers and sisters in Christ, that the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. (laughs) I'll say that again. That the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. By this, I'm not referring to the blood pumping organ that we must take care of and our cardiologists will help us along the way to look after the heart that pumps well and see that it's doing its job, okay? I'm not talking about that. It's important to look after that heart as well. The heart reference in the Bible here is the seat of our personality. That is our inner being, our our deepest seat of emotions. The heart. It comes from the heart. We use that expression, don't we? When you love somebody, you will say, Oh dear, I love you from the heart. When you are in love, you make love hearts. Why is that? Because your heart has been softened. Right? And so you have love hearts and chocolates are made in the shape of hearts. And you give love hearts to people because it's coming from the heart. The seat of our emotions. And friends, Jesus teaches us that sin does not originate from outside. Instead, it originates in the heart. We sin because at the very center of our lives, we are sinful. Sin has invaded the inner recesses of our being. You know what Martin Luther said? Martin Luther, the great reformer, he said this. Martin Luther came to see, see this and it caused him to say the following. I am more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and all his cardinals. (laughs) I am more afraid of my own heart than of the Pope and all his cardinals. You see, a hardened heart is a heart that is against God and one that does not honor this God. And so the Bible tells us, do not harden your heart against God. Because he will confirm that hardness to you. So your heart this morning, how is it? How is my heart before this God? You see, God knows us, friends. He knows the condition of my heart this morning and yours. Is it hardened? Or has it been melted by the Spirit of God? You see, Paul is saying here, As we read from Romans chapter 1, our first reading, a very telling reading, it says this in Romans chapter 1. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became, aha, what's it, fools. You see, although they knew God, that is God's revelation tells them something about God. They did not honor him as God, give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. So we see that the old life is one lived in the futility of mind, darkened understanding, alienated from the life of God, and a hardened heart. And notice the description of the result of such a life in verse 19, friends. You have your Bibles, look at verse 19. What do we see there? Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. What a description, isn't it? Of a lost heart, a hardened heart, a life alienated from God, a futile mind. It's a picture of moral depravity. They have become callous. To be callous is to be beyond feeling. It is a loss of all sensitivity and could literally refer to skin that has become callous or hardened and therefore no longer feel any pain. One of the commentators says this about the skin. He says, look at your elbow. The skin in your elbow is more rougher than the skin on your face. Correct? <laughs> Why is that? Because you're writing, it's rough, it's there. And it's, it's kind of callous. You don't, you don't feel so much. You can pinch it there. I'm not asking you to do it, but... <laughs> Alright? It's it, it kind of like, it can absorb a kind of pain, right? But your face and everything else is sensitive. See, the word callous is, is like that. It is beyond feeling. It is a loss of all sensitivity and could literally refer to skin that has become hardened and therefore no longer feel any pain. In the context of our passage, it is the loss and capacity to feel any shame or embarrassment for one's action. And so due to their lack of moral feeling, Look at what's happened. They're giving themselves up to sensuality and greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The kind of lifestyle, though they may be attractive at first, in the end it leads to emptiness, friends. It is a shallow, hollow life. Alright? There's a shallowness about it. Just recently I... Um, I went out for coffee with, a, with, a, with one of my neighbors. He's a non-Christian guy. And I had a massive chat with him. He just opened up his life to me. He's got everything he needs. Everything is there. But there's a shallowness there. And I felt saddened by it. I hope to continue the conversation with this guy. You see your non-Christian friends. What do you do? You pray for them, friends. We can't put ourselves better than them, can we? That they look at us and think, oh, these Christians, they are weird species. Which planet they, do they live from? Because they, they walk differently, they dress differently, they talk differently, they are weird. No, 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 Christians are normal people saved by grace. And we won't be here today apart from the grace of God, would you? My mind will be like that. I would be behaving in a darkened way if Christ has not 
had not chosen me, friends. I don't know where I would be this day. What would have happened to my life? Who knows? I wouldn't have met my beautiful wife, Rose. I would have had kids. I would have been in Australia. I would have not known the grace of Jesus. And who knows? Because I was a guy I loved partying. You, you may not believe that, but I was out Friday night, grooving and dancing, and Saturday nights. I used to come home one o'clock sometimes in the morning. My parents were so gracious to me. Man, I, I, I still like to dance. You put me on a dancing floor and I'll dance anytime. But the point is this. The point is this. I don't know what would have happened to my life had I not been touched. And you, yourselves, what would have happened to you if God has not touched us by grace? You see, so we need to look at our non-Christian friends, our work colleagues, not look down upon them. And with arrogance in our hearts, I am better than you. Nonsense. No, no, no. We see them as people that God has made in their image. And we need to pray that we will love them as Christ has loved us. Correct? Because that's how you're going to win them over. We don't follow and do what they ask us to do. We don't go where they go to. We don't do what they do. But we love them as Christ has loved us. That's the point, isn't it? You see, friends, the world will say, and I say this to our young people as well, and to to us as well, the world will say, come, follow me, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you, you die. Well, I think of the book of Ecclesiastes. Look at what the author to the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is Vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. And when he surveyed his life, this is Solomon, he had all the wealth, all the women, all the pleasures in his world. And this is what he said at the end of the book. At the end, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. You see, friends, put God in the picture. A life is empty without God. That's what Solomon concluded. For sure we live in this world. We live in a lost world. But Christ has come. To give us life. Jesus said. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. And have it. I'm looking for a word that starts with A. Abundantly. (laughs) Abundant life. Do you see that? I, I think I said this once. I remember driving around in Holland once. And hearing this song. Why is my life so boring? I I, I don't know if you heard that song. Uh, Maybe... Maybe it's a Dutch song. <laughs> it wasn't actually in English. <laughs> it was in English. And why is my life so boring? I was, Whoa, man. You know, your life and mine is a gift from God. And yes, life can time, at times be boring and, and, uh, and, and with trials and testings and traumas and, and challenges. I mean, I was talking to an old man yesterday and he said to me, Why? I, I believe he said in something. But how can you explain suffering, Chris, in this world? 
But you see, Jesus says, I have come to give you life. And a life that is abundant. A life that is full. A life that has meaning. A life that has purpose. A life that has direction. A life that has vision. A life that is amazingly powerful. There is the grace of God that he takes a boring life, a lost life, and he puts his spirit on the person and he says, my spirit is in you. You are a dynamic person in me. And Paul says, I can do all things through Christ that is spiritually in Jesus. Did you see your life by that? A life that is filled with the power of the living God. That takes you and says, you are mine. My life I give to you that you might have life and have it abundantly and have eternal life beyond the grave. What a life that God promises to his people, friends. This is what keeps me going every week. Every Sunday I come up here. Every Sunday to every preacher who's... The Sundays come on pretty quick. You write a sermon today and before long it's Sunday. You've got to have the next one ready for the next week. And this is what keeps us going. Because I see this amazing life that God has given to us in Jesus. Don't put it down. And so no wonder Paul says in our text 22-24. Gives us this new life in Jesus, isn't it? The new life, the old life. The new life. But that is not, look at your text in verse 20 to 24. But that is not the way you learned Christ. You see, it's about Jesus, Paul says. In contrast to their former way of life, this is what, they are, they, what they've experienced. A change has taken place. Paul is reminding them of what they learned. They had learned exactly the opposite of the worst lifestyle by learning about Jesus. You learned Christ. You heard Him. He, you were taught by him, in him. And so, friends, Jesus is the subject here. He's the center. You have heard him. Other translations may say, you heard of him. But the direct translation in the Greek here is, you heard him. That's the, that's the participle word that is used there. The word that is used there, in other words, it's saying, Christ taught you. I don't know whether your translation says that clearly, but it says Christ taught you. You heard him. When there is sound teaching, Christ teaches us. He's the teacher. He has taught you. And so Paul says, center your life on this Jesus. Because that is the new life. In him you were taught. In him you learned. In him you have your being. See, the Christian life is connected to Jesus. I ask you a question here this morning. Is there anyone here who is not a Christian here this morning? I don't know. Are you connected to Jesus? Do you have this connection with Christ? That this Jesus is your Lord? That you can say this morning, together as we leave this place, I have repented of my sin. I have put my faith in Christ. He has taken my sin. That's working there. Can you see that? All that stuff has become white, nearly. You're raising it up, are you? <laughs> Good on you, Harry. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you for my helpers here in the front. Right? It's become white. All my sin has become white as snow. Wow. All my guilt has been taken away. And Christ has washed me clean. A faithful, amazing Savior. 
And Paul says, put that off. He says, put off your old self, which belongs to verse 22. Your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful things and so forth. But be renewed in your mind. There's a transformation that has taken place. It's like taking off the old clothes when you're dirty and smelly and you worked in the garden and you're all tired. You take that off and you put on new clothes. (laughs) So each time you take your your old clothes off and put on new clothes on, clean clothes, remember, (laughs) you put it on like the new self being put on, all right? But the thing is that Christ has put the new self on us. We don't take off and put on. It's already ours. We have in Christ put off the old self. And Paul says here, the point, friends, living the Christian life is not easy. It's not easy, is it? It's challenging. Our conversion by the power of the Holy Spirit is not the end of our learning process, but the beginning. At conversion, we enroll in the school of Christ. There is no graduation in this school, this side of heaven. It is a pilgrimage of lifelong education. And so we are to be renewed in our minds. And Paul says this, as I go through this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is a faith both of mind and heart. God does not call us to surrender our rational faculties. Rather, he is in the business of transforming our minds. How about your mind this morning? How about your life today? You see, God, one writer puts it this way, God is at work in his people, but as children of grace, we must work at our Christian lives. As Christians, we are not immune to the temptations of this world. Many a Christian has fallen, but we pray that our minds will be transformed. You see, sometimes we have dark, dark blind spots, don't we, in our lives. I'll say this as I wind up, okay? We can have blind spots. It's like when you're driving and we need to change lanes. What do you do when you change lanes? There are blind spots that our driving mirrors cannot pick up. And if you had a driving instructor, he would always say, do a quick, what's it, a head check. Look around, all right? There are blind spots. Now, I had to learn this when I came to, uh, to Australia to get my driver's license because in Sri Lanka, we drive all over the place. There are no road rules there. People are crossing. We go this way, that way. We don't care about white lines. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is we just keep going. So when I came to Australia and had my first driver's instruction lessons, I've already had my license in Sri Lanka. So I came here thinking, man, I don't need a driving instructor. Why don't I need him? And then he first started to teach me. This was in Warnabool. And then he started to teach me, you need to do a head check. I'm thinking, what? Head check? I don't need that. And so you look around, because the, your mirrors don't give you a good picture. There's a blind spots. Similarly, there can be blind spots in our lives. And we need to do a head check, a heart check before the Lord. One of the principles of Christian growth is, to put, is, is the putting off principle. Right? We need to ask, and you know in your life that what you're doing is not right before God. You know that, I know that, but you keep deliberately going against God's way for you. And your friends and everyone else, your Christian brothers and sisters are saying, go this way, but you say, no, I'm going that way. The word of God says, don't do this, but no, I am going this way. A blinded in our minds, blinded in our heart, and we're doing our own thing. How does it feel? See, think about it, friends. I'm going to wrap up now. 
And I'll touch on this more next time. These challenges are immense. We need to pray that God will transform our minds. In summary, today we have seen that we as Christians are not to live lives as we lived before we came to know Jesus in our non-Christian state. We are not to live like non-Christians do. We are to put on the new self which is in Christ, which God has already put on us, and pray that our minds will be renewed in true righteousness and holiness. In conclusion, how about us this morning? Are you struggling with any particular area in your life? Is the old self still jumping up and down? Ask God to change that. Ask God to change my life. Renew me and make me new. Transform me and make me a blessing for you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the new life that we have in Jesus. That the old life has been taken away, nailed to the cross. We thank you, O God, that you are faithful. Even though we are unfaithful to you, you remain faithful. So, Lord, we pray this morning that you continue to shape our lives. The likeness of your son, Jesus. Amen.